0: I ain't talking about precipitation. I'm talking Father God. He gave Jesus the nations. And he's ruling now, even over babies. One day he's coming back. You just gotta have patience. King Jesus. All hell. King Jesus. All hell. King Jesus. All King Jesus.
1: Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to that Pulse Mill podcast where we ignore the chaos around us and seek to have our best life now. How's it going, guys? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, dude, I, I, what what I love what I love about it is that we're that you don't tell us. Like, I love the fact that I get to hear it for the first time. Like, because that's,
1: <laughs> well, that's what pulse mill is, right? We want to have our best life. now. we want we want to bring heaven on earth and make things better. I mean, we kind of sound like Rob Bell here, heaven on earth. Maybe we should get Rob Bell on here. We should
2: interview him. You might
1: like us.
3: Let's let's call Oprah and see if she'll have us on. Okay.
2: Listen, in all seriousness, if we can get if we can get Oprah on the podcast, <laughs> that would be amazing. Ooh, get Oprah,
1: yeah, and then we'll interview be her and interview her on Theonomy and see if she thinks of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you you get a car. You get a car. You get a car.
3: You get executed, and you get executed, and you get executed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, dude, calling cool. man. Well. Um, I wanted to mention this week that uh, Adam's not going to be with us. Yeah, pray for Adam. He listened to the Theonomy debate and he, he got the Theonomy, so he's <laughs> he's in recovery. he's done yeah. a heavy regimen of Bonson and uh, Rashaduni for the next week, but he should be back next week.
2: Yeah, I was trying to talk to him and he couldn't even really talk. He was just
3: no, no, dude. I dude, I was texting him and he was texting me back things like God's law. <laughs> Lex Talionis I was like, bro, you need you need to put your phone down. And he's like, he's like, Bonson, brush Dooney, North. I can't. Oh, uh, it's. I,
1: I can't. I can't not pick up every stone I walk by.
3: He just like starts grabbing it and getting ready to throw it at some heretic. Some theonomy. Yeah.
2: He's got the, He's got it bad, and just really pray you for got him. The
3: theonomy. Yeah. Oh man.
2: Yep. Definitely.
3: So, how was your guys' this
1: week? Good. What'd you do? We had a low key weekend with the family. Didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I tried to listen to the Theonomy debate. I got through some of it, but uh, um, it was it was interesting. I got to, I read a lot of comments on it online to see what
2: uh, what people <laughs> thought. of it. anything? Uh, I'm just laughing. Dude, online's crazy right now about it. Like it's just nuts. Oh, it's blowing up.
3: I think it's good that it's sort of stirring up a bunch of discussion. Yeah, get yeah. people talking about it.
1: Definitely. I I I, was, I meant to look. I did a just a quick Google search on just. Like the theonomy, theonomy debate, just to see where else it showed up. But did you guys see? Did it did it get picked up by like Gospel Coalition or any any big uh, outlets out there? I didn't I didn't see much. I
2: didn't see either. No, I didn't see them pick it up.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't follow the Gospel Coalition on Facebook. I think so. I don't I yeah, don't think either. I get their updates to see if they picked it up.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but from based on the comments, it sounds like they both won. Uh, they both were unprepared, and they both did a horrible job, and they both did a great job. Yeah, exactly. That's kind exactly. of the synopsis I got.
3: They both won and lost.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say this, man, I, I, and this I'm, I'm being dead honest. I've been to a lot of debates, and I just want to just give props to, to Dr. James White because I've been to many of his debates, and they're, they're always very organized and great. But one thing I liked about this debate was the Guinness shirt. Under Joel McDermott's blazer, was epic.
3: <laughs> I did see that, and it was really. I'm going nice. to
2: give props to my fellow Baptist, Pastor Hall, JD, <laughs> with the sweater vest. Very nice. I love that. Just, oh yeah, yeah,
3: I loved it. So that was classy.
2: Um, Very I'm a nice. big, I'm a big fan of bow ties, sweater vest, and Guinness. So immediately, I just really. Uh, Love the debate. I I, and I had to watch it again because I was just so enthralled by the attire. I didn't really pay attention to what was said.
3: You saw you saw them both on stage, and you just thought to yourself, "Wow, this is going to be a close debate." <laughs> yeah, <they're>, him, <laughs> with a, him with a sweater vest and him with a Guinness shirt. I don't. Uh, this is going to be a close if, one.
2: If J D. Hall would have wore the bow tie, hands down, it would have been a slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> hands down,
1: probably would have converted. Probably at, at <laughs> yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah bow ties are cool dude. bow ties are awesome like seriously have you guys seen you can you can tie a, a regular tie into a bow tie you can, can you that? i've seen that it's pretty
3: i've absurd done living. it and it's it very big oversized
2: <laughs> tie yeah it's a clown tie but yeah my brother and i were very excited when we first saw that video on youtube so we actually made a made a point to get together at his house and we had a huge thing of ties and we were just just making them, like, for, for like a couple <laughs> hours. And not one of them was, uh, was worthy. No, yeah. It's like the bobblehead of bow ties.
1: Okay, so this week we're gonna, it's, this is kind of a theonomy week. We got a theme. Uh, we're gonna start out by talking about what is theonomy. Um, and to help people understand, um, practically what that looks like, we'll, uh, we'll give some examples. I know Colin's got some good pocket examples of what, uh, theonomy would look like, or what life would look like. In a theonomic society, um, and then um, we'll talk about the you know the claim that you know, is theonomy a new thing. Is this something that just came about or not? Uh, and then we'll get into a little bit about the the great theonomy debates between J.D. Hall and Joel McDermott, and maybe talk about the Westminster Divines that were referenced, and we'll just kind
2: of see where this goes. So. Let's get to it. This is that post podcast. Stay right where you're at. We'll be right back. Before I
0: since he did the tone. Don't you see that Jesus purchased me?
2: See the blood on that
0: mercy seat. As a man, he was born in Bethlehem, but he's from eternity. Now that's bible. five too. You believe his God? Yes, I do. The only hero to die for the villains. That's poetic like haiku. I was proud pathetic and poor fool.
3: All right, well welcome back to that post-smell. Uh we're going to talk about uh What is theonomy? I know we referenced it a little bit in the the intro, and I just wanted to kind of give you guys a brief definition. The term theonomy comes from two words, one theos, and the other namas. Theos meaning God, and namas meaning law. So in its most simplified definition, it just means God's law. Uh, And various people have used the term, meaning slightly different things, throughout history um, over the last couple hundred years but more recently and if you want to say the capital T theonomy would be the view that when we look at the law of God as given to Moses theonomists would say that the judicial aspects of God's law pertaining to how um how the civil government should operate uh, are continually relevant valid applicable and binding on people as far as how the government should operate so some some practical examples of how that would look different for somebody who's not really familiar are for example if you look at the way that our society deals with many different crimes today uh, we uh, arrest criminals and put them in prison and they they uh, serve a sentence in prison for a certain number of years and then they're let out whereas uh, under a theonomic society, there would be no such thing as prison. And so rather than prison, um, people who commit crimes would pay restitution, um, or if, or if it's a capital crime, be put to death. So for example, if somebody steals my car, um, they have to, if they're caught and convicted, they have to pay restitution equivalent to the value of my car, either by giving me my car back, um, and then I think about 20% more, or they would just give 120% um, restitution for what was stolen. And then once the restitution is paid, uh, they're free to go about living their lives normally. Now, if for some reason, they, for, if they steal my car and then sell it and then spend the money before they're caught so they don't actually have the money to pay restitution, then they would um, basically work off the money. So they would... Uh, do a sort of indentured servitude sort of thing, sell their work for a certain period of time so that the restitution could be paid off, and then work until they've actually um, accomplished paying off the uh, what they owed for that restitution. And that sort of principle would apply for all sorts of different crimes. And in general, but not always, uh, an, a huge difference would be that there are very few what we would think of as victimless crimes. For example... There was a law, and there was a law that God gave that you were supposed to build a railing on your roof. Now, we actually see some flat roofs in our society, and OSHA standards require a railing and If you fail to build a railing on your roof, you get fined, so you pay money to the government for not following the standard. but that's not how God's law operated that same principle. Um, you were required to build a railing on your roof because people did spend time on their roofs frequently. And if you didn't build a railing on your roof, you didn't owe anybody anything. You didn't have to pay anybody any fine. It was uh, being disobedient, and thus it was a bad thing. But it wasn't actually a crime until and unless... Somebody were, was injured as a result of the of that failure. At which point in time you would be liable for the person's injury, paying for their medical bills, etc. So no prisons. Uh, instead of prisons, restitution. No, uh, ver- or very few. It's I say I say in general, no victimless crimes. There are a few exceptions, um, and those are those are in scripture that you can you can look those up. Taxation is another thing that would be a very big difference. In our society, um, people are taxed between, I think, 10 and 40%, depending on where they are in an income bracket. Um, sometimes up to 60%, I think, if you make a ridiculous amount of money. And under God's law, um, the only thing that may even be considered a valid tax, which some people would actually argue, uh, is was um, tied specifically to the land of Israel because it was intended to pay for um, refurnishing the temple, and that was the head tax. That's the only that was the only civil tax that was permitted um, for the magistrates to collect, and that head tax was a uh, half shekel of silver for every male in the household over twenty. No matter how rich or poor you are, it was the same amount of money. It had to be low enough that the poor could afford it, um, and it had to stay the same even for the rich because otherwise you would be exploiting the rich. And that's the only thing that it could even be conceived of as being a valid form of taxation. Hmm. Um, And so arguably there should not be – there should be almost no mandatory taxation and – the alternative would be voluntary tribute. For example, if a local magistrate happens to be doing a very good job, be a godly man, and happens to be uh, making sure that things are taken care of, you know, expediently and people think that he's doing a great job, they can, if they wish, give him money to help uh, with anything that he feels needs to be done. He can say, for example, "I would like to, you know, do X, Y, Z um, for the city of fill in the blank." But obviously I'm not going to pay for it out of pocket so if you guys want to donate money, we can make it happen and then people could donate voluntarily uh, towards having those things done so those those are a lot of significant alternatives um,
2: yeah I, I think well the taxation has always been a big one. Um, I think that's a huge contrast with our with our nation with um, with the huge tax t- t- income tax and from the federal level from the state level and sales tax and, and everything. Um, I think standing army is a big one too.
3: Oh, um, yes. We
2: have basically Yeah, a, standing you know, army is a big yeah, one. Yeah, law law enforcement in itself in in, in our country um <clears throat> it's really hard to, to have a system of justice when there's really no accountability for for injustice. The 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 right. the, 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 the police um, are constantly here always armed patrolling and their main their main agenda uh, or their main that what they spend most of their time doing is is collecting fines. Uh, from from the citizen jury for 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 the for the, for the municipalities. So um, the prison, like it.
3: So and and that actually would not happen in under under a theonomic society. Yeah. So the contrast with that would be um, law enforcement would mostly be what you think of as an old version of a county sheriff, like you know, hundred hundred and fifty, two hundred years ago. What what a county sheriff would have done back Andy then. Andy Griffith did. Yeah. So basically, they would. They would stay in their office, be available if anybody needed them, but they would not patrol. They would not leave their office unless somebody came to them and actually gave them sufficient evidence to establish that a crime had been committed. Then they would go do a little bit further investigation, and if um, and if there were, you know, if there were sufficient evidence, for example, on the basis of two or three witnesses, is the biblical standard. Then the person could be apprehended after they had been proven by the evidence to be guilty. And then they would stand before the judge and sentence would be passed.
2: Yeah, and, and connected to that too, um, a big difference between our society and, and um, a theonomic one would be that we have an industry, a for-profit industry, and it's very profitable, called the prison <laughs> and uh, the penitentiary. And so there's actually, uh, in order to get certain grants, you have to have a certain percentage of of your prison full, um, so this actually encourages locking up the citizenry, um, seeking out uh, whatever means necessary to to get your cells full, because there's there there you're, you're paid in, uh, money for that. So rather than being rewarded for actually dropping crime, um, ironically, people think, oh, if there's a strong police force crime goes down well we see a town just outside of Houston in Texas recently that has um, fired their police force in 2012 and now it's 2015 and they have a private security uh, force um, what's it called it's actually called seal is the, the company look them up they, they have a couple other accounts in different municipalities around the nation but seal their officers are privately they're held criminally and civilly reliable for violence. Um, they, because they're not actually officers of the state, they're, they're a private company. So not only has there been none of that, but also crime has dropped 61%. And this is just, this is not the only statistic that, that seal has seen this. It's actually, it's, it's not something that you're going to hear on the mass media put that way, because, and a lot of people think that a standing, like the, the police department for us to say, Oh, well fire the police department, like we're saying that we don't like cops. That's not true. We're not saying that. What we're saying, though, is that there's a system in place that wants to uh, collect money, that wants to make profit off of human suffering, off of human um, imperfection, you know, instead of mercy and grace, instead of actual res- restoration and, and, and actual uh, rehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, we What we see is we see this this system that profits off of injustice. And I don't care if you're theonomic or not. That is direct violation of God's moral law, It is, it, it, and it is uh, indicative of a wicked society. And I think that— Yeah, subverting justice. Yeah, uh, and so that, that that's a huge thing that I think that we need to, uh, as a church, really unify on and, and, and address. Whether you agree with the specifics of Bonson or not, and if you don't, then you can probably be the first one to refute him. But if you don't, then, then that's still no, no reason for us to, to just stand by and just— uh, let, 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 let this system continue. So anyway, wasn't yeah. Posted. Did you guys yeah.
1: see that article by Gary North on the American That one, uh, it was called, <laughs> is it time to disarm the police?
3: <laughs> oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, what is, was it about?
1: So americanvision.org org is, it, is it time to disarm the police? And he talks about, and he kind of gets into about, kind of talks about the second amendment a little bit, but the concept is about, um, like self government where, um, there's this line I want to read that, uh, says citizens would regard a law enforcement officer as they regard their mothers. They would do what they were told with little more than rolling their eyes. If anyone physically challenged a police officer, he would risk facing a dozen Clint Eastwoods who've been waiting for two decades to get an opportunity to make their day. So it talks about having the guns are in the laws of the in the hands of the citizens and yeah. the the police would have a completely separate function. Mm-hmm. Kinda like what you're saying with you know having the county sheriff who's not on patrol out seeking out people who could be doing something dangerous or, you know, breaking these crazy laws. But uh, I've never heard that before. That was, that was kind of an yeah. interesting, interesting article.
3: Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that if you really think about it, the only reason that people have a perception that we need law enforcement is that they have disarmed the citizens. Mm. If they would revoke all gun restrictions and let everybody own whatever, whatever firearms they wanted – then we would not have the problem of criminals being the only ones with firearms and then the police even not having as good firearms as the criminals. So then, I mean, and if you think about it, some, if somebody's like, you know, come in, busting your door down with a machine gun, what do you want to be able to protect your family? At least that much or better, right? Mm -hmm. For some people, it's hard to imagine a society where we can just walk around with machine guns, but the founding of, of the United States, the people who formed the Continental Army basically provided their own guns. Mm-hmm. So their military-grade weapon- weaponry was what they had at home.
2: Yep. Man, this is this is a really uh, unfortunate time for Adam to catch the theonomy.
1: <laughs> I guess we're pretty much <laughs> – I know.
2: Because
1: we're talking about
3: <laughs> we're gun We're pretty much
2: rights. Reformed and Reloaded, right?
1: Now. <laughs> Did you see that rant? That rant on the Reformed and Reloaded? Uh, page today no no, no. um because they, they so they they just adam interviewed larry pratt from gun owners of america oh nice and mm-hmm. uh, he they posted the um the post and they did a they you know you can boost a post to get it out to all your anyone who you know likes i think they did it anyone who likes gun owners of america they boost they kind of did an ad so that anyone who likes the page would have the opportunity to see that post to <sighs> check out the interview this this crazy person commented on and, and just was going off and kind of went back and forth with, um, I think it was Adam was talking as the page and just going back and forth about, um, it's just gun stuff, but it was, there's just
2: their mindset, their soul. status. So statism, bro. It's a new religion. Yeah. yeah. They just, it's, it's crazy. People are scared of ISIS and yeah, ISIS is evil. Don't get me wrong. But people that are usually concerned with ISIS and with Islam are, ignoring the religion that's already holding them hostage and in bondage um and that is secular humanism uh in the form of statism totalitarian state it's it's uh it's it's something that that again and this is why i'm theonomic i'm theonomic because i was libertarian for so long and i my libertarian views got me to got me to so only so far and the only way that i could really uh be consistent was and especially as as a Christian was to, to finally submit. My, my my journey to theonomy is twelve years long, and I'm in the first year yeah. of actually affirming it uh, with no with no
3: reservation. Yeah,
2: yeah. and I mean I want to see this nation has such a such a potential to be to be great again, and I believe that it can be. I also know that it has potential to be judged, and it deserves that. And so I, the only position I see that we as Christians can be in is in a position to where we cry out for the sins of our nation and that we from the pulpit and from our lives with all of our resources even that of our own breath that we that we spend it all to the glory of our king and that is calling our nation to repent and believe the gospel and that and that takes uh, that happens on every front there is no area where the gospel is not needed desperately and where Christians are not called to go i don't care if it's a hospital i don't care if it's a town square the public school uh, definitely, unfortunately, people question whether the pulpit is a place this day for the full whole council of God. But it is. And um, that post-mill podcast, we believe Christ is king, remember. And so we believe Christ is ruling now and he's active. And that means he has a law. If you love me, you will keep my commands. I have not abolished the law. I have fulfilled and established the law, Matthew 5. So anyway, about to get me riled up, gentlemen.
3: Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. And, and another, another big reason that, the, and the thing that really helped me uh, wrap my mind around theonomy was presuppositionalism. Yeah. Um, presuppositional apologetics, uh, which for those of you who are unfamiliar is the concept that, uh, is presented in scripture, which is that there is no neutrality with God. You're either for Christ mm-hmm. or you're against him. And, what that means is that there isn't philosophical neutral ground uh, in any discussion that we have with any non-Christian. Mm. There, is no, there is no neutral ground. All of the ground is God's ground. And so when they stand on philosophical concepts and argue against God, they're actually borrowing capital from the Christian worldview in order to argue against it. So from that, from that understanding that there is no neutrality, if that's actually true, then we have to ask the question, as Christians, um, is there neutrality in civil law? Mm. And if there is no neutrality in civil law, by what standard should the civil governments operate? By what objective standard of morality should civil governments create law or establish law? And as Christians, we should answer scripture Right? I mean, we're Christians, so if there's no neutral ground, where is our foundation? Our foundation is the Word of God. And if the Word of God is our foundation for civil government and civil law, then where in God's Word should we find the subjective standard of how the civil government should operate if not the judicial laws given to Moses?
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I, it would be nice to have a devil's advocate right now, but I mean, I. <laughs> I, I all I can say is amen I mean that's exactly uh, that's exactly where, I, where I'm at as well so
1: so real quick I wanted to throw out uh, this article I found um, on bolgedarmaranov.com it was from uh, almost a couple of years ago now but it was by Evan wheeler and he talks about we're talking about we're talking about practical theonomy and what it looks like the article is called four Practical steps towards theonomy and it was it's kind of interesting because it gets people thinking the right way um, step one is, um, tax exemption for homeschool families. Mm. And he credits Joel, uh, Dr. Joel McDermott here about letting homeschool families opt out of the system. If they're not using the public school system, give them the opportunity to not have to pay taxes that support that. So that was kind of an interesting idea to throw out there, which I I guarantee 99.99% of homeschool families like myself have thought that thought about what they're paying.
2: I'm a homeschooler as well, and I, I've thought about that as well. That and also healthcare and Social Security and all that stuff, we should be able to opt out of.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you're not, even if you don't think that, you know, public school in, inherently is a bad thing, which I do, even if you're not against public schooling um, for, you know, unbelievers, I'm sure they're thinking the same thing. Well, why am I paying for somebody, you know, somebody else's education and my kids aren't even going there? So mm-hmm. that's, that's what he listed as step one step 2 um and we reference this already demolish prisons and jails the entire concept is based on reconstruction of the mind through forced labor and or tortured by boredom that's what he, that's what he said it funny. is no it, but, and uh, that's it,
2: that's absolutely absolutely the uh, the thinking that's where it comes from it comes from this this the kind of psychology this like enlightenment idea of just you know you take a criminal and and you and do do through, through, through negative Trapping him in a cage, you'll somehow make him a human again. It's it's ludicrous. Yep, he
1: uh, says, and just like Colin mentioned earlier, um, Christians should argue based on God's law that the role of the civil government is to ensure restitution and capital punishment, mm. not social and civil services. So I thought that was that was apropos with what Colin was mentioning earlier. Uh, step three is get rid of the victimized ment- victimized state mentality, um, where he talks about fines and fees for um you know going against the state so he goes and lists um some fines in the state of georgia you know um driving left of center failure to use turn signal impeding traffic Mm -hmm. improper lane changes things where it's like you're we're using the state's civil property and we're violating it somehow and so we owe it this rest this this these fees because we violated what is the state's so just that that you know, the state victim mentality. So getting rid of that. And then, uh, step four is let us build our own roads. And he has a, his first line is roads are such an advanced technological discovery that to imagine anyone except government building them would be ridiculous, (laughs) but actually (laughs) letting us do our own, you know, just like we talked about, um, you know, privatized, um, security and things like that. Like we can do things so much better than the government can. Uh, we see that clearly in most of government's systems. Adam, too bad Adam's not on here because he talks about working for this, working for the government, the federal government. How horrible things are done, and how you know inefficient things are done, and you know, he sees it from the inside. But yeah,
2: what's what's ironic about that is that the government, like like our substructure, like our roads, all those projects for building those roads are they're they're bid they're they're bids out to private companies. Like like the the federal government doesn't own yeah. Like a road building team, like they they hire the different contractors and different people to do it. So the fact that the private sector is the ones building the roads is just being led by the by, by the Fed. I mean that shows, it, of course, we can build roads because we are building roads. We're just for some reason we think that we need to listen to the Fed for everything.
1: Yeah. So I thought that article was was pretty good on bulgudarmirnov. We'll put a, I'll put a link to this and then the uh, disarm the police one in the description. Can
2: I can I also offer one more? Um, Speaking of Doctor McDermott, his book "Restoring America: One County yep. at a Time" I think is a sub subtitle. It's great. Um, it's it's again it's a, it's a book. It's very practical, and he focuses on really getting involved in your local local uh, areas, communities, municipalities, and just really from again this reconstruction idea from the bottom up through through a gospel movement, and the gospel being a full gospel, not just uh, afterlife and forgiveness, but the whole council of God of, of God's law and his standards, him as king. But that's really great. Also, our good friend uh, Joven with Rep the King Mag just put out an article on basically the uh how the prison system of America violates God's law. I, I definitely would recommend that as well.
3: Alright, so we will be right back with that post mail.
0: Even though we still on earth, uh-huh. in heavenly places we're seated. Ooh, Ephesians 2, it. you should read it. Uh-huh. It's only because we're in Jesus. Yeah. Well, I don't think some
2: believe I don't it. Think so. And I don't think that they see they it. Don't. They think the church is defeated. But well, why are we call him King Jesus? Well, Welcome back to That Post Mill Podcast. Again, I'm John. I'm here with Dustin. I'm here with Colin. And again, we mentioned this in the beginning, but please pray for Adam because he uh, he saw, we're, we're, we're about to talk about the, the theonomy debate that took place at the God. Government and Culture Conference in Arizona, but Adam unfortunately came down with a case of the theonomy. So he is uh, getting bed rest and hopefully speaking <laughs> English again. I didn't realize that his Hebrew was that good though. I mean, he's really, uh, he really surprised me. So uh, feel better, Adam. I, I'm almost a
1: cessationist based on how, uh, how many, how much tongues he was speaking in. I'm not a cessationist anymore. I don't
2: know if it's, if, if it's officially like continuationist, if he's, If, if it's theonomy, I think he just caught the, that's true. Yeah. I think he just caught the theonomy. So not that there's anything wrong with continuationism, but he didn't catch the charismatic. I understand how it can be confused because some, you know, both of those camps will use the word dominion, but we'll talk about that some other time.
3: There's a little teaser for episode four. Wah, wah, wah. So, but yeah, so you think I'm joking.
2: No, uh, episode four dominion. I'm completely down for that. I think that'd be amazing. Because uh, God, God's law. Speaking of speaking of God's law, God's law is Christianity's tool of dominion, and that's where the, any discussion of God's law ultimately arrives. The issue of dominion, quote unquote, Doctor Bonson. All right, so we're we're speaking of this uh, of theonomy. There's a, this debate that went on, and it's uh, man. I know that in my circles, it's a huge topic. It's still being discussed. There's a lot of different opinions. As we mentioned in the beginning, if you just take everyone's opinion, put it together, they both won, they both lost, they both did awful, they both did great. <laughs> so, we just want to, uh, just do a brief review of, of the debate and talk about a couple different things. And it's no, it's no, uh, mystery. No one's going to be surprised that we here at that post mill are, we are theon- the- theonomist We do, we do agree with, with Dr. McDurbin. We do, uh, agree with the affirmative that God's civil law is obligatory for civil uh, society today and we we do hold to that, but at the same time we we want to we want to give j d hall uh credit you know there there's there's some things that I, I really liked about him um i one thing I really like about the debate is it gave me an opportunity to 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 learn about him and to now now I listen to pulpit and pen and and he, I really believe he's a great brother, and uh, I've had, I've, I've been blessed. I really have. I've been blessed by his ministry. So, but this debate came about, speaking of pulpit and pen, there was a, a, a brief statement by J.D. Hall on his podcast about theonomy. And then I believe, Colin, it was Apology Radio that responded, correct? Am I right on that? Yes, that's right. So so Jeff our, – our man – our good friend Jeff Durbin on Apology Radio responded to it. I think he made it, a, <laughs> I think he made it a whole episode, or at least a, at least a whole segment, which is, which is, of course, I mean, that, that, that's, that's good. So, this whole exchange started. Now, JD Hall eventually ends up doing two whole episodes on Pulpit and Pen on Theonomy. Put it this way, you, you see a lot of different things from J.D. Hall on these two uh, podcasts, and I'm really glad that the first half of the debate, which I'm probably jumping the gun, first half of the debate, you really see, uh, I think he came together quite a bit and, and, and did did a good job in, in a lot of ways. But So you have this pulpit and pen, two episodes. So eventually you have this dialogue between uh, Dr. Joe McDermott and J.D. Hall. And McDermott is, um, of course... Theonomic, we know he's a resident scholar with American Vision, and um, and probably right now it, he's just it's his time and he's come in. He's probably the the, the the leading figure in America in terms of theonomy, so he knows what he's talking about. So we have this dialogue between J.D. Hall and McDermott. They agree to have a debate, and what, what's really what I really like about this is, and it just shows um, how everyone's minds work, is that this debate which was originally supposed to be, I think, uh, like a on-air thing. They agreed to meet in person and have an actual debate. And then around that, it became a conference. And I've heard so many good things, a lot of fruit that came from the conference. I know I personally was was really uh, hoping to go, and I wasn't able to. And, and it's just one of those conferences that you hear a lot of conferences. We live in a church culture that loves their conferences. But there's no conference like that one. And I really uh, was looking forward uh, to hopefully going, I wasn't able to. Uh, Colin, Colin had a hot date, so he was not able to attend. But so we, what we have is the uh, this whole conference, everything, all of this happened because these two gentlemen have something to say on the topic of God's law on Theonomy. One for it and one against it. Hall actually had he told on pulpit and pen. He also said it again. I believe, on Bible-thumping Wingnut when he was there. And he, uh, him and James White, he was on the dividing line as well, saying that he b- just believed it was a distraction. He, did, he admitted that the, that those who hold to theonomy could be great brothers and sisters in Christ, but he just believed personally that it was a distraction. So I was looking forward to the, to the debate to, to, to hear him flesh that out. So that is the background of the debate as someone who has been in beautiful, sunny Florida the whole time. And has not gone to either Minnesota or Arizona.
1: It's 21 here now, so it's it's dude, getting warm.
2: That's better than five. Seriously? Five is a time. It should never be a weather. It should never I woke, be. I woke up to 20 below, 40 below windchill
1: just a week and a half ago, so this is paradise. Oh, that's crazy. 20,
3: 21, bust out the flip
1: flops. <laughs> well, I mean, before I was married, I wore flip flops year round. But then my wife, that's you know. She's uh she's a little smarter than I am. <laughs> That's
2: funny, dude. She convinced me to put shoes on. So actually, so let's get into the debate itself. There's, um, man, I have some scattered notes on the debate and I've listened to it uh, a few times. There is, I guess the first thing we can get into and I, uh, Colin, I don't know what you feel about maybe getting into this, but I, I know that you're better at this than me. I just know because I've come to you to ask you questions about this issue and that is there was a, uh, a claim that Hall made in his close in his in his first closing statement, and I'm sorry, in his first opening statement, and in his first opening statement, he he made kind of a uh, an inference, mm-hmm. basically saying that those of us, and this is a direct quote, those of us holding to a more historical and orthodox view of God's law as compared to Theonomists. So Hall was placing himself in this category with this great, I guess, cloud of witnesses, it seems, or or this community, basically saying that the community as a whole, the church, historically, um, has agreed with his view of God's law, that, the, that God's civil law, specifically, is not obligatory for uh, all societies. So then we have McDermott, comes on in his cross-examination. And I do agree with, I think every side, whether, you, no matter what your view is, all of us agree, we needed to see more cross-examination because that was really great. I, I think that the the exchanges were really, they, they were exciting. They were action. They, there was a lot of, the, the exchanges, I think were also still classy and very well done. Um, but McDermott in his cross-examination asked a simple question. Are you familiar with William Perkins? And, there was a lot of names. Basically, McDermott listed off the Westminster divines because if Hall is basically saying that McDermott, a Presbyterian, is not holding to the Westminster Confession of Faith, if he's theonomic, he is disagreeing with it. So McDermott asked if he's familiar with William Perkins, uh, Gillespie, um, m- many other names. And Hall, to every name except one, says no. And that one name Samuel Rutherford. Samuel Rutherford, Exact. thank you, was the one name that Hall was familiar with. and so he, he. But he admitted that he, again, the name is William Perkins, because I want to point out that later on we see that he quotes William Perkins, um, even after not re- reading him. So that's just something that stuck out to me as a theonomist, because I was really hoping, and I'm not saying this because I think Hall is less of a debate or anything like that, basically what I'm saying is I was really, I had a lot of hope when Hall says those things, it's a distraction from the gospel. When he says that those holding to a more Orthodox view would be with him, he, as someone who really respects him, I was hoping to be really challenged in that because I'm always willing. Uh, hopefully I can, I can take the, the, the I, I can obey the example of the reformers before me and say, you know what? This theonomy thing I, I really don't. Say, you know what? I got to. I got to recant it. I really got to keep moving on. You know, God has showed me through His Word that that there's some other option. There's something else I, I need to move to. Um, so when someone like Hall makes that claim and, and is going to debate, I w- I'm really hoping that he's able to unpack that and challenge me in that. So, Colin, what what would you have to say, or what can you tell us regarding the orthodoxy of Theonomy is theonomy that brand new thing we just pulled out of the box, or is has it been around a while?
3: Theonomy as the term is relatively new, but as the concept, uh, as the concept, it has existed for quite some time. And in fact, when we say that we're reformed and and say that theonomy is a view of the reformers, we actually hold to that because we. Look at the Westminster Confession and its original formulation and the histor- the historical um, nature of the the people who wrote it, and see that that all comports together. Whereas Hall was actually saying the opposite. And so, like you, I, when he said that, I was like, I, I really hoped that he would come forth and bring bring some like historical arguments and start quoting some of the Westminster Divines to to that effect. Uh, the only the only one that he actually did quote was William Perkins. So I, I was really hoping for a little bit more of an in depth discussion in that regard, since that was the direction that he decided to go. But but it didn't it didn't seem like that was something that that they were prepared for. But just on that note, um, I, I have here in front of me an article by Kenneth Gentry Jr. called Theonomic Ethics and the Westminster Confession. This is on Covenant Media Foundation's website, CMFNow.com. And, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna read some, some quotes here that he picked out from some of the Westminster divines. Um, so this is, uh, the records of the New Haven colony, uh, 1641 to 1644. The judicial law of God given by Moses and expounded in the other parts of scripture, so far as it is a hedge and fence to the moral laws, and neither ceremoni- ceremonial nor typical, nor had any reference to Canaan, hath an everlasting equity, and should be the rule of our proceedings. It was ordered that the judicial laws of God, as they were delivered by Moses, be a rule to all the courts in this jurisdiction in their proceedings against offenders. And Here's a quote from William Perkins, that the witch truly convicted is to be punished with death, the highest degree of punishment, and that by the law of Moses, the equity whereof is perpetual. So there's, a, there's William Perkins also upholding that same theonomic principle. And this is uh, Puritan Thomas Cartwright. And I'm, I may be butchering some of these names, so bear with me. Cartwright, who had a chief hand in reducing Puritanism to a system, held that the magistrate was bound to adhere to the judicial law of Moses and might not punish or pardon otherwise that they prescribed. Here's about uh, English theologian Thomas Scott making some allowance for the circumstances varying in different different ages and nations there is a spirit of equity in these laws which is well worth well worthy of being transfused into those of any state a full investigation of the subject would Events, I'm not sure what that word means, <laughs> that the laws enacted by Moses were uniformly more wise, equitable, humane, mild, and salutary in their tendis- tendency than the complex body of laws even the most civ- of even the most civilized n- of nations.
2: Hmm. Wow.
3: Here is uh, Robert Dabney. The application of the lex talionis, which means law of, of just retribution, Uh, made by Moses against false witnesses, was the most appropriate and equitable ever invented. Here is Reformed Basil theologian Johannes Wolebius. Again, I'm probably butchering that name. Not sure where he's from to guess, but... Propositions 1. As the ceremonial law is concerned with God, the political was concerned with the neighbor. 2. In those matters on which it is in harmony with the moral law and with... Ordinary justice; it is binding upon us. Three, in those matters which were peculiar to that law and were prescribed for the promised land or situation of the Jewish state, it has no more force for us than for laws of foreign commonwealths. So there's that concept from which actually comes that where, where we get that same. Um, oh, and that, this this was from uh, long before he he actually this this theologian died before the Westminster uh, Assembly occurred. But that, that concept is that same concept that we see in the Westminster Confession, chapter 19, section 4, I believe it is, where it says the, um, to, to them, speaking of Israel, he also gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of the people, not obliging any further than the general equity may require. And so, there, here, this concept here is that there are certain judicial laws, uh, that were separate uh, from the moral law that pertains specifically to the land of Israel itself. And so since the land was typological, um, that is a foreshadow, since that has, uh, perished or expired was the term used, then so those laws have no effect. But the judicial laws, which, which are in harmony with the moral law, that is in like, for example, um, somebody commits murder, how do you punish the murderer? That's the civil application of that moral principle. That he was he's saying that those things are binding. And then here's uh here's George Gillespie, which I think you mentioned, as well as did uh doctor McDermott. I know some divines hold that the judicial law of Moses so far as concerneth the punishments of sin against the moral law, idolatry, blasphemy, sabbath breaking, adultery, theft, etc, ought to be a rule to the Christian magistrate, and for my part I wish more respect were had to it and that it were more consulted with. So he's saying that we all agree, here's all these people, the divines of the Westminster Assembly, that agree that the judicial law of Moses should be applied, it ought to be the rule for the Christian magistrate in far as punishing all of these different things, and he wishes people had more respect for it. So I, I could go on. I mean, there's, I have dozens and dozens of quotes, but I'm, I'm actually going to jump over to another article. This one is by Dr. Greg Bonson called The Westminster Assembly and the Equity of the Judicial Law, also on Covenant Media's website, Covenant Media Foundation's website. So let me see if I can find the section where I was going to read. Okay. In, in historical context we can confirm that the above understanding is what the Puritans meant by the equity of the law. For instance, in 1575, Thomas Cartwright spoke of the judicial law, saying, "...the prince and magistrate, keeping the substance and equity of them, as it were, the marrow, may change the circumstance of them, as the times and places and manners of the people shall require." End quote. The cultural form may be altered, but the marrow or underlying substance is perpetually required. By the way, Cartwright found such perpetual equity in the death penalty for blasphemy, adultery, and incest. William Perkins found it in capital punishment for witches. Philip Stubbs said that the death penalty for blasphemy, quote, which law judicial standeth in force to the world's end, unquote. So this this view of the Puritans and the and the Westminster Divines was uh, like practically pervasive, and in fact, when you read the Westminster Confession in its original form from 1646, Chapter 23, um, on the law of God. Actually, I'm gonna have to pull that up really quick. All right, here it is. So this is Chapter. 23 of the 1646, the original Westminster Confession. This is the section on the civil magistrate, and I'm going to read section three. This is section, uh, or uh, yeah, so chapter 23, section three. The civil magistrate may not assume to himself the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, yet he hath authority And it is his duty to take order that the unity and peace be preserved in the church, that the truth of God be kept pure and entire, that all blasphemies and heresies be suppressed, all corruptions and abuses in worship and discipline prevented or reformed, and that all ordinances of God duly settled, administered, and observed. For the better effecting whereof he hath power to call synods to be present at them and to provide, that what so is transacted in them, be according to the mind of God. And so here we actually have an explicit um, affirmation that the civil magistrate is to punish uh, things according to the law of God, specifically suppressing blasphemies and heresy. If Hall's understanding of the Westminster Confession were true, then it would actually pit the Westminster Confession against itself. Because the Westminster Confession in Chapter 23 is affirming the duty of the civil magistrate to punish these things which were were said to be punished in the law of God. So we have to understand the historical context in order to really understand what's going on there. And as I said, if you can look up these articles, there are droves of quotes. I mean, I, I could have read this for another 30 minutes and easily could have – I mean, there's – quote after quote after quote of these Westminster divines and Puritans who all affirmed exactly what, what we are saying is theonomy. So if, if what we're looking at here is true, then ultimately what we have to conclude is that theonomy, at least in the, the way that they were affirming it in the Westminster Confession by these divines and all the things that they're saying, upholding a certain aspect of the judicial law of Moses for the civil magistrate, is the historic reformed position.
2: Wow, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think it's. We'll get someone with another position on here to to discuss, but it, it just seems like reading reading a quote in its context and um, really sheds a lot of light. I mean, it's. Um, now I'm not saying, and I know there's controversy about that. I'm, I'm not getting into that. I'm not saying Hall did that, but when when I uh, compared to his uh, a little quote from William Perkins, and then when we read the the, the the bigger thing, and not just from Perkins, but from all these these others, um, even as you mentioned. From even before the Westminster Assembly, with this kind of understanding, I mean, these are teachers, these are seminarians, these are pastors. There's a reason yeah. why they were invited to the council; they're influential, and they're teaching. This is what the the, the people in their communities are being taught. Yeah, it's just uh, pretty 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 amazing. And when you think about the Puritans, the reason why they came over, why, why they left anyway, and and to start a to start a new world, it has everything to do with their understanding that they wanted to live in a in, in a land. Um, yeah, that was. Reflecting of God's law.
3: Yeah, they felt like they were not free to worship God the way that he commanded them to. And so they, they, felt, that, they felt that if the civil magistrate, where they were, wasn't doing his, his duty, they needed to go find somewhere else where they could worship God correctly, is, is practically the reason that they left. I'm just going to end uh, here with four more quotes from George Gillespie, the, that Westminster divine, which are just un, unabashedly theonomic. Here here they are. He is obliged to those things in the judicial law which are unchangeable and common to all nations, but not those things which are mutable or proper to the Jewish Republic, such as the Jubilee year remission of debt, the Leveret Institution, etc. Here's another quote. How shall Christian magistrates glorify God more than by observing God's own laws as most just, and such as they cannot make better? Here's another one. He who will hold that the Christian magistrate is not bound to inflict such punishments for such sins is bound to prove that those former laws of God are abolished and to show some scripture for it. And here's the last one. The will of God concerning civil justice and punishments is nowhere so fully and clearly revealed as in the judicial law of Moses. This, therefore, must be the surest prop and stay to the conscience of the Christian
2: magistrate. I mean, that's... That's awesome, man. I, I really appreciate your, your diligence there and bringing us up. Also, I like the fact that we have, uh, there, I mean, we live in a great age where we can talk about that post mail. We live in a society that despite what's going on, we can get online and we can go to these websites and look at these resources and see this for ourselves. Um, so be, you know, like Paul went, went, you know, he he went to Thessalonica and he was, he was uh, not treated well. They didn't want to hear the gospel. He he had to flee from them, and they even chased him for miles out of Thessalonica. Then he came upon Berea. And when he came into Berea, we see in Acts that he got a completely different reaction or response. They were at least humbled by God's word to say, you know what, Paul? We're going to hear you out. And they took everything he said and judged it according to the scriptures. And the result is that there were many who believed in the gospel, and so we want to at that post mill. We want to encourage all of our listeners to serve a local church, be involved, and be Bereans, be people of the text. It really is uh, the the only way to obey God is to love His Word and to know it and to take and, and let. Like speaking of the Westminster, the Westminster says that the the highest standard, the highest judge for all controversies for all things is the Scriptures, and indeed the Spirit of God honors that because he, the way the Spirit speaks to His people is through the Scriptures. So obviously we, we, need, we need to take all these things. So when we hear a debate on theonomy, when we hear uh, quotes from, from divines of the past, we really need to carefully listen and respect that and take it to the Scriptures. It's really a—and so speaking of the Scriptures, if I can just, at the end of the segment, uh, just in, in the company of, of, of these great men who came before us, like teaching us even now to 2015 about God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5, we see see this text. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today. This is that post mill. Stay with us. We'll be right back. While
0: we call King Jesus, what? I can't imagine how folks feel.
2: They don't know that this hope's real. They don't know about
0: Postmill. His enemies are just roadkill. roadkill. And that's so, real. that's so real. Yeah, that's so real. Christ Jesus is dominating like Carmelo at Oak Hill.
2: And this ain't high school. Welcome back to that Postmill. I know this has been a, a hefty, lofty episode. Uh, again, we just want to encourage everyone to check out the debate between J.D. Hall and and Dr. Joel McDermott. Now, not only the debate, though, I do want to quickly say that there are some amazing talks by Marcus Pittman. Dr. Joel McDermott does a couple of talks himself on, on on the gospel. We see that uh, Jeff Durbin does an amazing talk, which you, you really need to hear. So that conference is available for free on American Vision. And if you would just go to American Vision, also, um, you know, we don't work for American Vision, so I feel comfortable saying this. They gave a gift of a of, of really uh high a high quality production of this whole conference and debate uh for free. Go ahead and donate to American Vision um to thank them for for this resource. Now what we have here um as well in the debate is Colin has gone through and basically I think Colin did a great job of representing just a historical Hall's comment that he had a more orthodox and historical understanding. Um I think Colin kind of really did a not kind of. I think he did a great job of challenging that and showing, from the direct, very full quotes, that the Westminster Divines and even before Westminster, we had uh, leaders in the church who held to this view, and it seems to be a majority view, especially when it comes to the Westminster, of what they meant by equity and, and these sundry laws and, and things of that of that nature. And now, um, another thing that was what was, and I don't just hear it from the debate. I hear it a lot. Is this idea that the civil law is not at all, and this is—I mean, this is the topic of the debate—is the civil law obligatory? And one of the main objections is that we never see in Scripture a nation that is judged uh, based on the civil law. And I would say, yes, you're right. If it were possible for the civil law to be isolated by itself, but what we understand from Bonson and, and the theonomic position, and also from uh, a couple of the quotes that. Colin mentioned as well from the Westminster Divines, is that the moral law is demonstrated in a society. Uh, The moral law is applied by the civil magistrate through the civil law. So in Israel, we see that the civil laws came directly from the moral law, the moral law uh, being manifested through... Everything from the ceremonial laws, which are or which which are now uh, abolished uh, because of the once for all finished sacrifice of Christ, but we also see the judicial laws and we see uh, the the moral law. All comes from this idea of God's expression of who He is, of His character. Uh, they are perfect. They are good. They are just. So we don't have a lot of time. So I just want to give a brief example. We see in the book of Jonah. Jonah is considered. Uh, an unusual prophet until we look and understand the narratology, that Jonah is in the Hebrew and also the Christian canon because he is a, a type of source or representative of the people of God. Uh, Jonah is a prophet that's called to go to Nineveh, Nineveh being representative also of the entire world, this wicked nation. And we see also in Jonah that this idea of this wickedness is the same uh, the same wickedness used in Genesis before the flood. God saw that the, the wickedness of men in their hearts, it was just continual. He was sorry that he made them. That same word, that same idea of this violent, unjust wickedness uh, we see in Nineveh. So Nineveh is directly reflecting the world before the flood. So we know that it's guilty. And Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, flees from God. We know the story. But the point I want to get to is that when Jonah finally does come around, when, jo- when Jonah finally does obey and go to Nineveh, probably half-heartedly, because he doesn't go into the whole city. He walks in a day, says his little piece, and um, probably isn't expecting much. But we see that the people hear this message. The people of Nineveh hear this message. And let's look at, really quick, in Jonah chapter 3. Verse uh, verse 4, then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk. Remember, we're told it takes three to go actually through the city. But Jonah goes one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast and put a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So a movement begins. We see the, the message of God's salvation. Goes forth and is heard from Noah, and the people believe it, and they take it upon themselves to call a fast to repent. Now, this movement obviously is something substantial because when word reached the king, see something's going on with the king of Nineveh. Here's a, he, there's no cell phones, there's no internet, so something substantial is going on that's really affecting the city. So we see that uh, in verse six that when the when word reached. The king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, sat on the ashes. And this word reached is really touched. It really deeply affected. It's a very powerful word. It's not something where he just heard it and was curious. It struck him to the heart. So much so that he sees that he is not worthy to be the magistrate that he has been appointed to be. He is not worthy to be the king. So he sits in sackcloth and ashes. And it's from this humble position what takes place. From this humble position, we see the king issues a decree. Verse 7. Issues a proclamation. And it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way, there's that that understanding of this way of violent oppression, this wickedness. And from the violence, there it is, which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. God saw their deeds, that they turned away from their wicked way. And God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. He did not do it. He forgave them. So this understanding... Of this this idea that a, a a society is not judged based on their civil offenses to God's civil law, I don't. It has no grounding in Scripture. It, I think it, it is based on a pre, a, a certain presupposition of a of categories of the law, and not just categories, but applications and how they relate to one another. But I think we have here this little example. This little book of Jonah is a huge part of Hebrew life and Christian life. And when we see that Nineveh was God did not see the movement of the people in repent, in relent. Matter of fact, the movement of the people was just the beginning. Because of the king's decree, what we see animals were made to fast. Why? Because in the ancient Near East, like a city like Nineveh, their their idolatry and their false gods and their false religions revolved around animalism and different uh, different types of paganisms and and things like that. So we see that there's even a religious. Reformation in Nineveh. All of society is transformed through the message that Jonah delivers from God. And so this says a couple things. Of course, for the debate, um, that's something to consider if we think that the civil law is not obligatory today. You really can't tell Nineveh that because Nineveh's civil law became very mosaic as soon as they heard that God was coming in judgment. And we see that that civil change, that that decree of the king to go out affects all of society, and God relents and does not destroy them. And if I can just be a little practical here, Nineveh, many, many rabbis discuss Nineveh as representing all the world, and Jonah as being Israel, and Israel being heart of heart and forgetting the fact that they are called to go into Nineveh, to go and be a light to the nations. We just read Deuteronomy 4 last segment, where they were being reminded that that was their vocation, that was their covenant calling. Well, as Christians, we need to understand that we are called to go to Nineveh. Maybe it's called America now, but the message of the gospel, the demonstration of the gospel, is not to be kept from any nook or cranny in our in our world. There is not a part of our nation. There is not a single cultural. Issue. There is nothing in your life over or, or over your neighborhood or over your nation or even over the, the oppressive leadership or tyranny over which God does not declare mine and I have authority over that thing. Simply preaching the gospel we see in Romans carries the power, God, the demonstration of God's power at work in the world and the revelation of his justice in the world. So I want to encourage us all. Serve in your local church. Get involved in the kingdom of God and understand that it's not just about you going to heaven. We see here in Jonah as well a call for us to be active and to proclaim God's word that even Nineveh can relent. Even the, a wicked king can change and can reform his law to be like and to be according to God's law. This is that post mill. We'll be right back.
0: King Jesus, all Psalm 2 and 12. Kiss the son of Paris. If you're waiting for him to come and reign and you're in your an error. On the throne of David, the is already there. This is something that some in the church are not aware
1: of. Alright, guys, that was uh That was a lot of good stuff this week. I'm excited to get this out there and get get some discussion going around this. What uh to light it up a bit, what uh we need to talk about a little more proof for uh post-millennial eschatology. We didn't talk about Post millennialism proper this week, so let's uh, dig deep into our into our scriptures and find some, you know, proofs of mill this week. What uh, what happened to you guys that you can uh, that you can show to your disby friends to show them that they're wrong?
3: Well, just today, I was going out on my lunch break, walking across the parking lot to uh, to grab some food, and standing there in line, I usually just grab you know something cheap off the dollar menu, and lo and behold. The kid in front of me in line turns around and says, "Did you want a drink? I accidentally ordered a drink and I didn't want one." Wow, bro. That, post-mail. <sighs> that post like mail. That post bro. Like I, I, I have. Oh miss- wait, did you say goosebumps. scripture? Did goosebumps. you say scripture? Whoops, <laughs> dude. That I got. Go- yeah, that's good for disps yeah, too,
2: right? I have goosebumps from that, Colin. That's. Uh, <laughs> I'm encouraged by that. I, I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go in McDonald's and 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 pray and and trust that the Lord will bring forth uh, a a Dr Pepper for me. That that post Um I mean, actually, it was an Arnold Palmer. Ooh, even oh man, that's. I mean, that ooh. that's just. I, I think that that might be a bit overrealized eschaton there, but I think that it's it's allowed yep. if it's something that I mean, it's not like you asked for an Arnold Palmer. So, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's just <laughs> we're not in the new heaven, the new <laughs> earth yet. Don't get don't go. Overboard. He gave
3: me the cup, and I got myself an Arnold Palmer. What?
2: Oh man, I think that's uh that's bold.
3: I know. hashtag that Postmill. That's
2: that's bold, man. That, that that's uh, I don't know that's like a little a little dominion. I think you need to be careful.
3: People people will be gonna be talking.
2: Yeah, going into McDonald's. Going to McDonald's, <laughs> yeah. just getting whatever mixing mixing drinks. Come on,
1: Colin. You've got a, You've got a name to uphold here. You know, you're you're in the dirt. You don't want to get too far out of it. You just you, you, people won't recognize you. <laughs>
3: What about you, John?
2: Man, my whole life is that post mill, bro. I uh, I had a uh, all right. Well, today my Now, this is kind of deep. So you know, if 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 uh, if it's a little if it's a little out there, let me know, man. But I just know the Lord works in mysterious ways, and we were uh, blowing bubbles outside and. He has this weird bubble sword. I don't know if you guys know about this. Like, well, you have kids, Dustin, but like you know that bubble sword. You pull it out and you pull, you squeeze the handle and it kind of opens up and makes big bubbles or makes little bubbles. It's, yeah, confirmation. Yep. So I have this thing and it just it's broken and riggedy. It's really old and it wasn't working. Matter of fact, my son's been trying to get it to work. He's only three. He doesn't get it like that. It's just, I, I told him it's done. It's not working. But he refused to believe that it's not working. Well, dude, I go inside after messing with it for like 10 minutes to grab his juice because he left his juice inside because I'm in Florida and it's like 80 degrees. And so we come back outside and the, my son at three years old has that bubble sword working in a marvelous way, making huge bubbles. And for the past like month, we've had it and haven't have been able to get it to work from the mouth of babes <laughs> or bubbles of babes. That that postmail <laughs> right. from from the mouths of babes,
3: he has ordained that postmail.
2: That postmail, bro. Yeah, dude, Absolutely. my son's it, toddlers toddlers be mm-hmm. that postmail, bro. They they don't become dispy they don't become dispy they <laughs> until they're trained, you know. Naturally, I mean, you ever seen right. a toddler walk around like, "Oh, yep. the temple's got to be rebuilt"? No, you've mm-hmm. never heard a toddler say that. <laughs> they're, they're 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 all oh, about no. that dominion. That t- that postmail. This is mine. I'm going to do this. This is what the Lord wants me to do. I'm gonna crush this ant. I'm gonna do what <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, like your two-year-old
3: uh, <laughs> taking dominion over the crayons in the bathroom wall. You know.
2: Yeah, like art. Like I'm, yeah. I, you know what? I'm in the image of God. I'm I'm gonna create right now because I, I I really feel that that's what I need to do. That post mill. That post <laughs> But you know, nothing nothing beats yeah, nothing beats so that bacon. All,
1: all my debt post stuff revolves around food. I'm all about that food. Um, in fact, I was even uh, I stopped at Chipotle on the way home to pick up some dinner just to you know to test out get a little taste of the new heavens and the new earth. uh so that was <laughs> delicious but uh at uh at work today it's been uh we we're in a pretty busy time right now planning for an event and uh I was just working not paying attention just I usually work through lunch um but I knew I wouldn't have time to go and get something to eat and uh, working 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 lunch kind of went right by and uh one uh someone at work they whenever we have uh meetings or uh sometimes we'll order in lunch and if there's leftovers they'll kind of go around and see if anybody wants any and came over and i got two sandwiches and i got this crazy dessert that was like a salted nut roll covered in chocolate and i got some homemade kettle chips and they just brought it to me it was that postmo all day it was it was one that postmo
2: that's insane mm-hmm. delicious man get me get me hungry man colin are you hungry I'm starving, <laughs> guys. Colin, Colin waits until like nine o'clock at night to eat for some reason. Like every time I we get on at nine it's o'clock, ten o'clock ten, now. ten
3: o'clock at night your time.
1: Well, you guys, uh, we should uh, just in case in case anybody is uh, confused and taking us seriously, we should mention where we got our name at Postmill. You know, it all started on. Um, uh did it start in the in the reform pub? Was that kinda where a lot was? That's of it where me and Shaney were
3: posting it a lot, but it was also just on our walls. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's funny. It kinda of grew out of that, but any basically it came across that any anything we, we started using anything that anything good that happened, we would be like, Oh, oh, look at that post mill. Uh I think it's funny that uh that Ah mill has been has become or even that dispute when it's really bad or debt. That, yeah, that was something wrong, wrong, that I but, started uh, doing
3: with Moses Flores because uh, he's <laughs> Amel and we, we just love making fun of each other.
2: Yeah, Moses is a good brother, man.
3: Too, <laughs> yeah. bad, too but, bad he's uh, that
2: Amel.
1: We are t- everything is tongue-in-cheek. We, we haven't had a, an episode devoted to post-millennialism yet. Well, we should probably do that soon, but uh, we're obviously this is all tongue-in-cheek. Um, we think that there's a lot better uh, proof for... Our eschatology than just what's around us. That's why we're not dispensational and we're not thinking that the end of the world's happening right now. But uh, we we like to joke about it. So uh, just in case of those who uh, might be taking us seriously, want to quit there.
3: Well, you can connect with us on Facebook. Look up Dat Postmill on Facebook. You can uh, find our website, datpostmill.com, and follow us on Twitter at that post mouth
0: the sheep of the king will protect us from the werewolves and the meat. Jesus said that the earth they shall inherit. Some think it's getting worse for how Jesus removed the curse. He has dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. Now he's reigning from heaven. May all the kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. Psalm 72:11. This This anthem, this song is not an apologetic. This is song that lets you know Christ is king because I read it. If you want to debate, name a time i place and we'll get it. Yes. The progression of the kingdom of God is where my head is. Oh. A post-millennial age is where we're headed. Christ is conquering the nations. Yeah, I said it.
2: Jesus the Messiah brought the expected kingdom on time and as planned. He is seated and reigning now. His kingdom will grow in history through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The world will experience the transformational blessings the peace with God brings. Jesus will return for the resurrection of the just and the unjust after, after all his enemies are put under his feet in victory. The last
0: enemy is death.